Beto struggles in Texas as Brady pours money into two house races, plus a conversation with Josh Crashauer on what to look for in the midterms. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I made the devil run. I gave him poison just for fun. All right. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com, where you can head over and check out our membership options today if you want to get access to hundreds of exclusive pieces of analysis and reporting that you can't find anywhere else. You can also sign up for our free newsletter that goes out every Friday that keep up, keeps you up to date on the latest in gun news around the country. Just one email, very simple. Not going to flood your inbox and you'll be well-informed of what's happening. So uh, this week, we're going to look ahead of the election. We've got the election coming up here. Uh, well, this will go live for members on Sunday and then everyone else on Monday. So the election will be Tuesday. And I wanted to bring in somebody who has a great broad view of the political situation, who can give us some great insight into what we should be watching for the election to tell how guns have impacted everything. And, and uh, you know, that's Axios's own Josh uh, Krushauer. How Welcome to the show, Josh. Uh, how are you doing today? Steven, thank, thanks for having me on the show. Real real pleasure. I've been a follower of yours for quite some time. And uh, it's good to talk uh, elections. What, just a few days left till till the big day. Yeah, absolutely. And so uh, you have you recently moved over to, to Axios not that long ago. Uh, you tell people just a little bit about what you do over there? Yeah, so I'm the senior political correspondent, uh, cover campaigns and elections, which is the job I've had since starting my career, basically. Uh, but um, one of the products I put out is a Sunday afternoon newsletter called Sunday Sneak, and it covers all the big trends, developments, breaking news, analysis, uh, across the the world of politics and elections, so uh, we have regular sneak, which is a you know must read kind of new, new news rundown of what's going on in Washington. But the Sunday version is the one I put together, and it, it focuses on campaigns and elections. And we've got we've got one more issue, and then we're gonna head right into the midterms. Yep, yep. And uh, so you are the perfect person to help us navigate through what people should be looking for in terms of how guns perform. Uh, in the midterm elections here in 2022. So, uh, you know, off the bat, uh, yeah, I think for me, the first thing I did a piece over at the Reload Analysis piece that sort of went through my thoughts on this. I think the, there's two ballot initiatives, one in Iowa and Oregon. And and the, the ballot initiatives are great because it's just, you'll get to see what the votes voters want on the specific question. There's no sort of need to really deeply interpret what goes on there, uh, but that's one to watch. Then, you have uh, there's a number of gubernatorial elections as well uh, that that I think are going to be really good parallels for gun policy because they're at the center of these races. You've got uh, the Texas race, the Georgia race, and now the sort of a surprise one, the the New York race has become very close. Uh, let's start with Texas though. You got Beto O'Rourke is running against Greg Abbott, and he's been you know staunchly pro gun control to the point where he has is literally wants to take people's AR-15s and AK-47s. He doesn't think uh, the public should be able to own those. And then on the other side, you have Greg Abbott, the Republican, who just signed, you know, permitless gun carry into law there. He's expanded uh, gun rights in the state, gun rights protections, uh, loosened the gun laws. 
so it's a pretty stark matchup, right? And Beto has made this a, a top campaign issue, especially in the aftermath of the Uvalde uh, Elementary School shooting. Uh, but he doesn't seem to have made very much progress. The latest polling has him down 13 points, I think. And uh, so what do you make of that race? Yeah, so I want to take one step back and then we'll go a little bit of a deep dive in Texas uh, when it comes to gun politics. Uh, It used to be when I started covering politics that there were pro-gun Democrats, there were NRA-endorsed Democrats, and there were Republicans that voted for, you know, the Brady Bill back in the 90s and voted for gun control if they represented suburban states or suburban districts. So you really would have to watch like a lot of these individual races and really closely follow where the candidates are when it comes to, to gun policy, because there was a lot of diversity on, on gun policy within both parties' uh, coalitions. That's not the case anymore. And I think a good rule of thumb, not just for this election, but in you know recent elections going forward as well, if Republicans have a good night, it, it's a good night for for you know gun policy, gun, gun owners, conservative views on, on you know gun gun let, let less gun restrictions, less gun regulations. A good night for the NRA. A good night for gun, gun rights groups. And we're looking at the the very strong likelihood at this point that this is going to be a very good Republican night where um, Texas, which is a Republican state, that governor's race is probably not going to be close. Governor Abbott is uh, going to, um, you know, if the polls are accurate and if the reporting I've done in, in that race is, is correct, it's going to be a pretty easy night for, for the Republican governor. And you're right. I mean, one of the issues with Beto O'Rourke is that he thought he was sort of capitalizing on the shifting winds within the new Democratic Party in, in Texas, where he ran against Ted Cruz and came closer than a lot of people expected. But the reality is Texas is still has a, a very a sizable gun-owning population, a very solid you know, rural base of voters in the state. And there are other trends in Texas that, that have nothing to do with guns, like the Hispanic uh, voters along the Rio Grande border that are becoming Republicans, and they, they used to be pretty solid Democrats. So, you know, the, the issue of gun cut policy is not one that, that's a winning one for Democrats and not one that's a winning issue for Beto. Beto has not gotten any traction since, even after the Uvalde, the awful, awful Uvalde shooting where he had, had this moment, you know, confronting Governor Abbott at that press conference. Um, that did not get him uh, additional support. And if anything, it may have may have cost him a little bit. And just playing to if you're in Texas, if you're just playing to the suburban base, the urban base of, of, of the Democratic Party, if you're if you're kind of catering to, to the voters that are most concerned about restricting gun, gun access, that's not enough to get a majority in Texas. And the way the winds are blowing overall, you know, you're, you're looking at a pretty sizable Republican Republican uh, success story in Texas this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you do you think that's the same? I mean, I, you know, Texas seems like an easy one because you expect the Republican to do well. Uh, now, Beto O'Rourke is supposed, as you just mentioned, is supposed to be like a new, you know, invigoration for the Texas Democrats. But that's been the storyline for several elections now, and he hasn't actually pulled any of them off. Um, but I don't think the same is really true in in Georgia, right? You have a much more purple, you know, voting block there these days. Uh, what do you make of that race? Yeah, so Georgia is a more competitive state writ large, and obviously Democrats won the, those two Senate seats that got a whole lot of attention uh, just just about two years ago. But Georgia also has a very conservative rural base that still get gets any Republican to you know forty four or forty five percent, if not more, even in a bad year for for the party. So, and those are gun owning conservatives, a little writ large. If you're if you're looking at like 
you know, folks who own guns, you know, all you have to do is look at some of those rural precincts across the state and, and suburban area. It's not just the rural, but, it, but the, 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 those are voters who will vote on the issue of gun control. It'll be a litmus test issue and they're showing up and they're, they're motivated. Uh, and then in the governor's race, you have a, a governor who um, first won election by running a campaign ad touting how, um, how, how committed to protecting gun rights he would be. And he won. Yeah, and governor to Brian permitless Kemp. carry, which right. he did, which he did end up signing. That's right. And he, he passed legislation um, that, 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 that gun, right, gun owners cheered for. And then you have an opponent in Stacey Abrams who certainly toes the liberal – or conventional Democratic Party line on, on yep. gun control and gun regulation. And, she, so, and she's attacked yeah. him for the permitless carry. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you're not you're not um, you're, you're not you're in a Republican year at a time when the winds are at the Republican Party's back. Uh, that that is it's, it's tough to be a someone who's to the left on that issue, and and it's it's tough to see. You know, it's still tough to see if a Democrat is sounding too liberal on gun on gun policy, how they can win a state like like Georgia, how they can win a state like Texas. It, it did happen in the, in the Senate race in 2021 in those runoffs, but it took a confluence of factors for that to happen. Yeah, but that's that's still a play here in this election, too. Right. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Walker is running well behind Kemp and Warnock's running well ahead of Abrams. Right. Um is, do you think that's just an incumbency advantage or do you think there's some difference? I mean, Warnock supports, uh, you know, the assault weapons ban in Congress. Uh, they seem to have pretty similar stances as far as gun control goes. Um, and, uh, but, you know, Abrams is not making up the same kind of ground on Kemp as, you know, uh, Walker is making on Warnock. Right. There, there are other factors other than gun policy that, that are determining why, Abrams is doing so poorly and Warnock is still hanging around neck and neck with, with, with Herschel Walker. Uh, some, some of it is, you know, Abrams denying or having trouble accepting the results of the 2018 election, which has really created this sort of baggage and, and, and an inability to kind of expand her coalition. Um, you have her, her views on abortion rights that are well to the left of, you know, perhaps even Senator Warnock, uh, even though he is, they're both pro-choice of course, but um Stacey Abrams went on Morning Joe and said that abortion was essentially an economic issue and, and has used sort of much more progressive rhetoric in talking about protecting abortion rights. And, you know, Warnock is a much more dynamic campaigner. He's more charismatic, I would argue, um, in that Senate race. Um, as a, as a, his, his ties to, you know, he's, he's the pastor at the at the Ebenezer Baptist Church. So that that gives him a certain base that Abrams has, has uh, you know, not been able to match this year. So, yeah, gun, I mean, on guns, you're, you're seeing... Both Democrats taking the, you know, the pro the, the gun control line and uh, Republicans taking the typical conservative line. But that hasn't been a, a major, major factor, um, at least in the campaign advertising and the messaging in, in those contests. I don't think so. No, That's I mean, it's baked in. I mean, it's baked in. These are not uh, if you watch the ads, you know, like, Governor Kemp ran an ad talking about how he would protect gun rights. That got a lot of attention in 2018. It was, yeah. it was mocked by the left and, and, and cheered by his supporters. Uh, but we haven't seen, there have been other issues that have taken over in both the governor's race and certainly the Senate race. Yeah, I mean, certainly there, there are other issues that top of mind for most voters in most of these races. I do feel like Georgia's governor race, it's a little higher profile than, than in a lot of other elections, including even the Senate election there. Uh, just for one, because that is one of Kemp's biggest you know, accomplishments as far as legislation goes uh, in, in that race. It's a little bit 
uh, it just seems a little more prominent in that in the Georgia governor's election than even in the Senate, even though the positions of the candidates sure, yeah, are you're passing gun laws as governor, like a governor has yeah. more control of a state, obviously state state policy. Right. Um, but but in terms of the ads, in terms of the, the messaging mm. you're seeing on the airwaves, hasn't been as, you know, at least mm. based on the data I've seen, not as prominent yeah. of an issue as we saw in 2018, when that was a really, really distinguishing factor uh, that the branded Kemp to the right mm. of, of in the primary and also in, in the contrast with Abrams in the general. Mm. Good point. Um, and then, you know, the other gubernatorial election, obviously, that I think is uh, particularly interesting when it comes to gun policy is is New York. Uh, now, this is another situation where, you know, Lee Zeldin, the Republican there running against incumbent uh, Kathy Hochul is not his campaign messaging has not been primarily focused on guns, right? It's more crime and inflation and the economy. Uh, but it, it seems that Hochul has, you know, of course you have another, that's another state where they passed significant gun legislation uh, before the election. You know, Hochul got pushed through the, uh, the response to the Supreme Court striking down the state's old gun carry law. And the response is now mired in, in court battles as well. And has been found unconstitutional by two separate federal judges there. And interestingly, Hochul is the one who seems to be pivoting towards guns at the end of this race as polls have tightened as a sort of um, response to the gun or sorry, to the crime uh, accusations from, from Zeldin, uh, which is something that you've seen the gun control groups advocate for connecting those two issues. Uh, but she, she seems to be the only really prominent candidate in a tight election that's actually doing that. And it doesn't seem to be helping to this point, at least in the polling. Uh, what's your take on that race? Well, a few few important points in New York. Number one, New York is a state that if you poll the voters, if you had a referendum on, on gun control, it would pass overwhelmingly. It's a blue state, needless to say. Uh, it's a state where, you know, what you're seeing Governor Hochul do is trying to make the crime issue about gun control. I don't think it's working. Like, I think people realize that, and we saw this debate the big debate that the two candidates had in the past few weeks where the governor was trying to make it out to be a gun control issue. And Lee right. Zeldin was saying, look, it's not just guns. People are getting pushed in front of a subway trains in New York city. People are getting right. assaulted and the Jews are getting assaulted on the streets of crown Heights. You know, this is not just the, the, the rise in crime, the rise in violent crime even is not just a gun issue. And she didn't have a particularly compelling re response to that. Um, so that, that's an interesting little sidebar to the whole gun debate, because the number one issue in, in a lot of these New York governor's race polls is crime. And I think you said Hochul is, is and I, I haven't followed every race super close like to, the, to that granular effect. But you said that Hochul was the only uh, Democrat who's trying to make the crime issue about gun control. I, you know, I've heard the Biden White House kind of trying to do that uh, recently sure. where, where they're trying to. You know, they know they have a big disadvantage in, in, in the polling when it comes to crime, but they think they have an advantage when it comes to, to gun policy in certain right. certain areas, especially certainly New York, they do. So what you're seeing is they're trying to change the subject. The problem, as I said, with, with Hochul's strategy is that, you know, I, I think a lot of voters, even, you know, non-Republican voters, swing voters, Democratic voters who are feeling the pinch of crime, they like don't see this as a gun issue. I think they see this as a New York City is out of control issue that you can't walk in the streets without the fear of being mugged issue. And uh, there's a little bit of tone deafness coming from the governor, Governor Hochul, about you know the crime the crime problem. Like you, I, I think they agree with her on, on guns and gun control, but 
that's not the issue at hand. And, and she is sort of in recent weeks, almost denied that there is a, a crime problem uh, to the point where that's yeah. become a major issue, than, a, a more important issue, a more important focus than the, the candidate's positions on gun control. Right. Yeah. She she had that remark about, you know, wondering why Zeldin cares so much about the crime during the debate, which was not a not a shining moment for her, I don't think. But but yeah, she, that, certainly that's this is the strategy that she's employing that the that like every town has advocated for publicly. Right? They, they put out a bunch of polling that they say uh, where, where they're making the case that Democrats should try to connect these issues um, yeah, the White House has done it to some extent, but I, I, you know, I haven't really seen it as a actual focal point of a campaign uh, in a, in a lot of places. And, and you know, certainly you could argue that's not the focal point for uh, Hochul or Hochul. I'm sorry if I mispronounced her name earlier, but uh, but certainly it's something that she's definitely attempted to pivot to, and that was clear in the debate and in her social media messaging during the debate uh, that she wants she wants the crime issue to be seen as a gun issue, but it, but yeah, it's an interesting point whether or not that's actually working. And certainly the polling indicates that he's closing on her still. And that would be a, I mean, that would be a huge upset, right? A huge upset. That would be the upset, the shocker. I, we're talking about it. So it's not totally off the radar from the press, from the media. But for a state that voted for uh, Democrats by over 20 points to be competitive in the governor's race with, you know, like you said, Stephen, Lee Zeldin is not exactly like your Rockefeller moderate Republican. He's a pro-Trump Republican who, you know, didn't vote to like confirm the the election results in Pennsylvania and Arizona. He, he's, he, he comes across as a very, you know, very, very, he has a good, 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 good manner about him. He, he can appeal to these suburban voters because he doesn't look like Marjorie doesn't look like Lee, uh, Jim Jordan or Marjorie Taylor Greene or some of the more right wing lawmakers. But in terms of his voting record and his position vis-a-vis Trump, um, you know, he is not a moderate Republican. He's not an anti-Trump Republican. So the fact that we're ta- I think a lot of folks assume that because of his ties to Trump, you know, he would be you know, unelectable in a state like New York. And as it's turning out, Governor Hochul's disconnect from the biggest issues facing New York voters, crime number one, is causing her to be kind of to lose the political altitude that, that the democratic party typically has. Yeah. And Zeldin hasn't, uh, he hasn't run away from the gun issue necessarily. He's been on record as, uh, you know, criticizing her decision to pass the, the new gun carry law. And, and, you know, they, they do have a, a contrast in their stated positions. He's just not really trying to make it an issue. It's more uh, what she's trying to do. Uh, but, and I, mean, I think there's another important point here about um, perception, right? Isn't perception is what's going to really rule the day in, in politics, right? If 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 Hochul wins, but she only wins by a couple points, uh, you know, when it comes to this strat, this late strategy of trying to shift towards gun control, that'll probably be viewed as a, as a loser, right? Well, look, it, it's kind of like the debate over like what's the most like abortion versus the economy, right? If you look at the polling, you know, more Americans now identify as pro-choice and there's a pretty clear majority of like voters across the country in swing states supporting abortion rights. Right. But when you actually ask voters whether what's a more important issue, the economy, inflation or abortion, the economy wins by by a landslide. So, you know, they're they're cross currents in our politics. And uh, like like I was saying before, most New Yorkers probably. Uh, are, are wealthy your left and my, you know, the wealthy sure. left in the, across the country when it comes to gun control, right? But 
that doesn't mean that is that is that they it doesn't mean when, if you have a choice between trying to put more police on the streets, trying to change New York's bail law, which which Lee Zeldin, um, you know, New York passed the bail law in 2019 that made it easier for criminals to get out of, you know, to, to not serve time and to re- recommit offenses uh, on the streets of New York. And if you ask them, is that a bigger problem for for uh, for your average New York voter or is the gun, gun policy in New York a bigger problem? Well, I think you're seeing that Zeldin's uh, focus on the bail law is, is a much bigger concern, a much bigger point of point of uh, a much bigger problem for Democrats. I mean, New York, by the sure. way, as you noted, Stephen, New York has pretty, pretty strict gun control laws as is. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're in a blue state where abortion rights are already protected, you may not be as worried about, you know, what a Republican would do to abortion laws in the state. Um, same right. thing with gun control. Like Democrats are controlling the legislature. There's not public support for, for change, you know, for, for, for uh, loosening gun laws. And there's not the, the votes for that, in, 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 you know, in Albany. So, you know, I think people realize that gun policy is not going to change uh, or some people would realize that gun control is not going to be an issue that's going to change if, if you elect a Republican uh, to the governorship. Perhaps. Right. Uh, and, and I, you know, I, I agree that generally speaking, all of these races will probably be viewed as coming down to pretty much every race in this election is not going to be viewed as coming down to gun policy uh, as the top issue, because it's just uh, not, it's certainly not the top issue. It seems in any race, even, you know, Beto O'Rourke and Abbott, that's not the main thing, you know, but uh, it's not perhaps the number one issue, especially if you look at the polling, but these are the races where, the issue is more prominent, in, in my view at least, uh, than in most other races around the country, including a lot of the battleground Senate races and uh, you know, some of the other more competitive uh, House races or or um, or uh, other gubernatorial elections. And so that that's why I feel uh, you know there there'll be a lot of things to draw when it comes down to it at the end of the day, a lot of conclusions to draw from how these elections turn out. But uh, one of the conclusions I feel like in these three races in particular, maybe Texas and New York more so than Georgia. I don't, I don't I'm interested in your, your thought on this. One of the conclusions will be how gun policy performed. If, for instance, if just like if Lee Zeldin outperforms expectations, Hochul, uh, Hochul's turn towards gun control at, in the closing you know, uh, weeks of the race will probably be viewed negatively uh, as as strategy going forward. And then if uh, Beto outperforms the polls, you know, maybe the opposite conclusion gets drawn there. Uh, so, you know, uh, do you think that's a realistic way of uh, looking at the conclusions people are going to draw from these races when they're done. So I think the biggest takeaway is that if Republicans take back the House and win a big, you know, healthy majority in the Senate, if they win seats, perhaps like in Arizona and New Hampshire, by the way, two states that have very libertarian uh, voting bases and have a very uh, have a very strong base of gun rights supporters in, in both both those states. Uh, if you see a big wave, like gun rights, that, that that's going to be a, a mandate for you know for the new Republican Congress to. Uh, protect gun rights. You're going to see. You're not going to see any gun control measures uh, pass through Congress or get 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 proposed. Sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, I think again, I think it's it's more important to look at the macro because ultimately the parties have such diametrically opposed views on on, on gun rights these days that if Dem- even if you have a couple uh, moderate Dems that are part of the 
coalition, it, you know, it's really which party controls Washington and sets the policy yeah. agenda. That's going to be the biggest determinant for, for gun policy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I do want to talk about general control of Congress, but but I do want like, do you see any races in particular that are going to tell us anything about gun policy? Like, am I reaching too much when I say Texas and New York are going to no, you, you brought up some really say good something races. about gun policy or? Yeah, I mean, like I said, New York, I don't think the gun 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 rights themselves are really going to shift based on who who's elected governor, or at the very least, they're you know sure. maybe Hochul would pass more restrictive gun measures and Zeldin wouldn't, but I don't think mm-hmm. you're going to see a rollback even with a Republican in New York. But you know, I, I just mentioned Arizona and New Hampshire, and again, sometimes it's not what you know. Sometimes the the issue of gun policy is the background is is, is the background noise in a race. I mean, Arizona has a, has a lot of gun gun policy is been a big issue in, in Arizona uh, in recent years. Um, and it's a big part of the Blake Masters coalition in the Senate race, right. uh, the Kerry Lake coalition for governor. Um, so maybe it's, again, like in Georgia, it's not front and center. It may not be the number one issue on the airwaves, but you better believe that, that you know, that's going to be seen as a bellwether for, for where, you know, how, 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 how strong a, a coalition the gun rights supporters in, in the state of Arizona are. And New Hampshire is another state where live free or die, right? They, they've always, it's always been a pretty strong Second Amendment state, maybe a little less so lately, but New Hampshire's always had that, that libertarian, libertarian tradition, gun, gun protecting tradition. And it's a state that Democrats have felt pretty good about because of the weaknesses of the Republican challenger, Don Balduck. But look, if, if Republicans win in New Hampshire, uh, that that that's there's a lot there are a lot of gun voters that are probably showing up to the polls and backing the Republican and being part of this this potential Republican wave. So you know I think those two races they're they're at the edge of the of the Senate map right now. Um, it's Arizona and New Hampshire, but boy those are those are races that could show the potency of the gun rights the, the gun rights element of the Republican coalition. Okay, interesting, interesting. So there's two other ones people should watch for. Uh, but going back to your point about the macro level. Uh, results here, right? We've got control of Congress is up for grabs. Things seem to be trending towards the Republicans in the closing days here. But uh, I, I want to talk about the two, uh, you know, ways that the Republican Party and the Democratic Party have approached this election when it comes to gun policy. Because uh, my thought, at least, is that Republicans, especially in the Senate, especially Mitch McConnell, Signed on to the bipartisan gun bill earlier this year, in part because they wanted to take this issue off of the top of mind for a lot of suburban voters. I mean, Mitch McConnell was out there basically saying exactly that to Politico at the time. Uh, And then on the other side, House Democrats, you know, they passed uh, an AR-15 ban, you know, a so-called assault weapons ban uh, through the House for the first time in since the initial, the original one in 94 passed. Uh, and so they seem to want this issue on the top of mind, at least for some voters, perhaps voters in those uh, blue seats that are not necessarily, aren't typical, uh, it's sort of second level blue seats that are in danger, right? Not, maybe not the, it might hurt the ones in the, you know, who, who are in the battleground districts, but they're probably going to lose anyway. So we're going to do this to try and give another issue to that second line Democrat uh, representatives. And um, I don't know, I'm interested in one, if you think that that is how those strategies were meant to play out uh, or if I'm off base there and two, if who's, you know, whose strategy is working. 
so your, your reference to the the gun gun control bill, which was sort of a mental health gun gun regulation bipartisan bit bit of legislation post Givaldi. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, look, I think it showed the continuing influence of of the gun rights lobby. I mean, it was the the fact that that was I, I, I saw it more as a mental health funding bill. I mean, I think Democrats needed to kind of. I mean, there were then there was some red flag uh, provisions in there that Democrats had had, had promoted. Um, but but to me, it was. You know, it was the Republicans were given a fig leaf to kind of pass something. I think you I think you nailed the politics pretty well that Mitch McConnell in particular, you know, wanted to make sure the party was branded a little more favorably in the suburbs. And in the especially the immediate aftermath of Vivaldi, there was a real worry that Republicans would just be seen as hardline uh, objectors to anything trying to deal with, uh, you know, the you know, what they see as the kind of what Democrats certainly see as the kind of rash of, of mass mass murders and involving guns right mm-hmm. so um you know I, I think it's an incremental piece of legislation it wasn't just a gun bill it was a mental health funding legis- legislation which helped get some other republicans on board uh, but yeah like I, I certainly in the senate like mcconnell viewed the politics of trying to do something uh, on the gun side of things uh as, as positive politically though in the house like you note you know it's a lot trickier because um there are a lot of safe safely republican seats or even you know rural swing seats like in maine or and there are a lot of districts in new mexico there are districts on the map that are competitive that that you know if you come out um against the nra if you come out against gun rights you're going to be in trouble uh as a democrat so um yeah like it, it's a tricky you know the republican or the the, the gun rights uh you know position has held the upper hand for quite some time in American politics because their voters are folks that show up that are engaged. As you know, they're engaged. They show up. They're organized, and that makes a difference. Not just in red parts of the country, but in areas where there is a pretty sizable rate of gun ownership. Do you think that that bill succeeded in sort of bringing this issue off top of mind for those suburban voters they're targeting? Because yeah, I mean, you've got obviously you have the committed voters on either side, and it, it certainly does seem like the gun rights side has. Uh, um, you know, an advantage in that area of like of, of gun owners coming out to vote over uh, gun control supporters as like their top issue. But it seemed like that bill, as you mentioned, is really a, a mo- it's a compromise bill. It's it has a few new restrictions, things like the closing the boyfriend, the so-called boyfriend loophole. Um, you know, there's a couple things in there. Uh, there's a more comprehensive uh, it's almost a de facto waiting period for 18 to 20 year olds when they go to buy a gun, or at least uh, more flexibility for the FBI to take longer in doing their background checks. And uh, for that age group, uh, you know, there's stuff like that in the bill. But at the same time, it's certainly not anything that either side w- was extremely excited about. Um, the question, but I think the goal was to try and move this from a set eight nine point. Uh, you know, in your most important issue uh, poll down to, you know, to one, one or two point where it usually hangs out uh, as far as gun policy goes. And uh, it seems like that's what's happened is uh, whereas it seemed to me like passing the assault weapons ban was tr- uh, a way to try and get guns back into it was like, look, yeah, we did this bipartisan bill, but it's not enough. That was the consistent messaging that you heard from the White House and House Democrats. Wasn't enough. We need to do more. We're, we got this bill through. We just need your help to, you know, hold your ground. But give us, uh, you know, another go at, at getting it through Congress. Keep this issue at the top of your head. Um, but it, I mean, it, 
it seems like Republicans got the better of that strategy, at, the, at least when it comes to, you know, your less committed types as far as gun policy goes. Well, look, I think I, I think your political analysis is, is, is really good. Um, it was a box checking exercise like we, we just discussed. I think at least on the Senate side, McConnell viewed it as a way to you know, be a little show a little more outreach to, to the suburban voters that are so important in, in a lot of these swing state races. Um, and, and look, it, it takes it off the table. There, there was a, an outcry for, for for Congress to do something. You hear this a mm-hmm. lot in the in the aftermath of these awful, awful mass shootings in schools. Right. You know, it was all you know, just just gut wrenching. And you know that that was what kind of necessitated something to be done. And I think Republicans are relieved. They're playing a little defense politically, relieved to have it off the table, so they can talk to other issues, talk about other issues that are more uh, salient to to the swing voters that that make up that make up the, the critical mass of these, these uh, swing state or that make, make the difference in these swing state elections. Right. Right. Absolutely. Like, I, I don't think it was designed to get gun voters out to the polls. I think it was designed to take the issue down from, you know, to, you know, your third or fourth or fifth most important issue to a suburban voter who's not uh, generally voting on guns anyway. Uh, and it seems like that's worked, but I, you know, obviously we'll have to wait to see for the election how that turns out. Speaking of which, uh, the gun groups, both sides, they make lots of endorsements in these races, right? Um, but as you mentioned earlier, guns have really become a very polarized issue. And so a lot of their endorsements are just the NRA endorses Republicans and every town, uh, Giffords and other groups endorse Democrats. So how much insight can we gain from looking at how they did in their respective uh, races as far as endorsements go? Well, look, as we said at the outset, these are, these days, the gun endorsements are pretty partisan affairs. It's it's not, and it's not so much the groups. It's also the, just the sorting out of the different coalitions. Republicans are now a pro gun party. The Democrats are a gun control supporting party. So, I mean, a lot of the scorecards are going to basically reflect, uh, you know, which party does better on election night. It's not, I don't know if it really tells you a whole lot about the cloud of the organizations themselves. I don't, the NRA is certainly not nearly as influential as it was, you know, a decade ago, 20 years ago, because of a lot of scandals and controversies uh, in its organization. So, you know, like they'll claim victories. And, and certainly this was a good, going to be lo- looking like a very good night for Republicans taking back, uh, if they take back, you know, the House and potentially the, the Senate. But I don't know. I mean, every group is going to try to claim that they did something to, to get that result. I think it's more, 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 you know, as we've been discussing in this podcast, there are a lot of other issues that have moved voters towards the Republican Party this year and, and gun gun control groups or sorry, gun gun owner and the NRA and other gun gun uh, gun rights groups are benefiting from that Republican wave, benefiting from that movement writ, writ large to the Republican Party. And uh, a lot of these you know, gun group endorsements now. You can also up your average by just not endorsing in certain races, right? Uh, and so, so that kind of takes a little bit away from the the relevance of all these endorsements, to, as far as like trying to parse out how well each gun group did in in the their respective races, right? Or am I reading too much? No, I think I think I think that's right. And uh, again, um, it, it's just it's hard to look. I mean. It, I, I care about where you spend money. If, you, if, you, if you're, you know, if, you're, if the Chamber of Commerce makes a lot of endorsements, but they're not spending money for their candidates, you know, like it's just a, it's just a list. It's a piece of paper. 
Um, I, I care. The NRA used to be a little. I mean, look, the power of the NRA is in its membership. Like the people, right. are there a lot of as you know, these this is a litmus test issue for a whole lot of voters, and, and they're overwhelmingly Republican now. So um, you know, you don't need a group to to mobilize gun rights uh, voters, right? I mean, and the NRA was very effective in its heyday. They don't have quite as much clout as they used to, but you know, you don't need a group. You don't need an outside force to tell people uh, to, to how to vote on a lot of these issues. They they, they know it through their you know through, you know they they know that the Republican Party now is pretty much the the party aligned with uh, gun rights ownership. Yeah, although you know, certainly I think that's another area you could look at is how well they mobilize voters. Uh, through their internal, you know, uh, get out the vote mechanisms on either side, it will probably have an impact. Although that'll be harder to read, right? Than uh, than simply looking at where they're spending, you know, ad dollars in campaigns. That'll be that'll be more important than the endorsements. But uh, and you can actually see there's a smaller number of races. I mean, for instance, the NRA has m- spent the majority of their money in just six Senate races. You know, the six uh, big ones. You know, Wisconsin. Uh, Arizona, Nevada, uh, Georgia, and Pennsylvania, um, and there's there's one other one off the top of mind, but um, uh, you know they, they're they're putting most of their resources in those races. You're seeing matches from the gun control side in those races as well, uh, and then but you're also seeing uh, a little more diversity on the the gun control side, and uh, they're they're sort of trying to protect some of their house. Democrats that are big, uh, you know, big supporters of theirs who come up through their their system of developing candidates uh, like uh, Lucy McBeth in in Georgia, uh, and there's uh, also the the state senate race in Colorado. That's every town has poured a bunch of money into to try and keep control of the state senate. There uh, is one of the few states where you've seen significant. Uh, uh, growth or significant movement in gun laws over the last 10 years, you know, in the direction of uh, the gun control movement. So, uh, you know, those, those seem like races to really watch as well. Right. Yeah. I think, I think you hit, hit the nail on the head and every town is obviously the big, big spender uh, on the democratic side for gun control support. And they, I don't, they're not quite as active as they've been in, in other elections, certainly not in the presidential in 2020, but they're still playing. They're still spending big money in some hand handful of key races and uh that that is that is those are the battle lines in, in this election yeah so i think that gives people a pretty good guide a pretty good base for where they should actually look on tuesday when the election results start rolling in and we start to see who's winning and who's losing where you know who's getting upset and who what's coming in what the way we expected you know if you're trying to figure out how gun politics are are working out and where things are headed. I think I think we've laid out a pretty good uh, little guide here for that, right? Yeah. Is there anything else? Thanks for having me, Stephen. I enjoyed talking about uh, all these big races and the po- yeah. impact of of, of of the gun issue on our politics. And uh, look forward to being back on the show. Yeah, I think I think you had some really good insights there. Uh, any is there any other um, any other big thing you, you would point to as far as gun politics on Tuesday? Yeah, like, like I said, I think you're going to have a lot of happy uh, folks at the NRA if Republicans do get, take control of the Senate and the House. So I think the big picture in this in this election, where we do have control of the, the both chambers at play, that is going to be what the NRA and a lot of gun, gun rights supporters are going to be watching. Yeah, so that the big picture will be really important 
uh, in the end here. Uh, now, can you tell people just a little bit more about where they can find your writing, where they can find your work? Yeah, you can uh, go to axios.com, uh, subscribe to the, the sneak, sneak peek uh, newsletter. I have the Sunday edition, as I said before, covering campaigns and elections. I'll also be, if you are tuning in on election night, if you go to Fox News, I will be uh, being one of the anal many analysts uh, breaking down the results, breaking down what we're seeing live uh, uh, on the network. So tune into Fox if you're interested in seeing me and see more analysis about gun gun politics and everything else under the sun uh, for the 2022 midterms. Uh, or you could tune into CNN and, and watch me. <laughs> That's right. Congratulations, by the way. Yes. Big, big. Uh, I think that uh, it's a great, great honor that. Uh, that you're getting, you're getting to talk about gun, gun policy and gun politics on CNN. Well, I really appreciate it. And, and I, uh, I absolutely love your work and we'll continue to follow it at Axios and, and on Fox as well. So, uh, appreciate you joining the show. We'll have to have you on again in the future to try and suss out, uh, you know, how these elections turned out and what we should think, uh, going forward. So I uh, appreciate it. And we will, we'll have you on again shortly. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for another weekly news update. I'm contributing writer Jake Fogelman, joined as always by Reload founder Steve Gutowski. How are you this week, Steve? I'm doing pretty great, Jake. We are filming this on Wednesday uh, because I'm going to go up to Philadelphia and try and watch at least one of these World Series games. I don't think I have the money to watch more than one of those in person. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I have the money to watch any of them in person, but we'll, we'll find out once I get up there. There's this theory that the ticket prices were going to come down on game day, and that has not panned out at all. So <laughs> <clears throat> I don't know. We'll see. Either way, very happy. Phillies won last night, uh, so I uh, can't ask for much more than that at this point. Phillies, the fly, uh, the Flyers are doing well. The Sixers are, are picking things back up, and the Eagles are undefeated. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what else you could possibly want from a – uh, for a Philly fan at this point in time. It's rough to be so happy for you from a distance because Denver sports are pretty pitiful right now. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened with uh, Russ Wilson out there. That that's, uh, seems like you got him right as his career decided to implode. Yeah, things aren't really panning out there. No. Uh, <laughs> but speaking of, aside from World Series season, we also have election season coming up. Yes. Uh, the race is less Very than busy. a week away as we're recording. Um, and in one of the higher profile gubernatorial races, we actually have a new poll uh, showing things aren't going so well for one of the challengers looking to unseat an incumbent governor. If you want to tell us about this, this new poll that you wrote up. Yeah, this is one of those key races that we're following, right? As far as gun policy goes there, you know, we've talked a little bit about how people generally have uh, stopped paying close attention to gun politics as we head into the election season here as, as the election actually draws nearer. But there are a few races where it's likely to be a deciding factor, or at least one of the big deciding factors. And the Texas gubernatorial election is absolutely one of those races because you have, <clears throat> on the one hand, an incumbent Republican governor who has signed a bunch of pro-gun reforms, including permitless carry, uh, permitless concealed carry in the state this year. Uh, or just just recently, I forget if it was this year or last year. But either way, uh, very pro-gun in terms of his record, uh, who has essentially stood by that and refused to institute new gun restrictions even after uh, Uvalde happened, which is one of the worst mass shootings uh, in the country's history. Of course, that itself is making the issue bigger in Texas than in a lot of other races. 
Uh, and then on the other side of the coin, you also have Beto O'Rourke, who is the Democratic nominee and is very well known for his call to confiscate AR-15s and AK-47s. He famously said, hell yes, we want to take your AR-15s and AK-47s. So there's no real nuance on this issue. Beto has, of course, flip-flopped a little bit on that, but his current position is still that he doesn't believe anyone should be allowed to own those firearms. Uh, they're obviously very popular. There's 24.4 million AR-15s and AK-47s and, and similar guns in the country, according to the National Shooting Sports Foundation. Um, so this is a very stark contrast in this race. And, you know, we've, we've been following it since the beginning. And now the latest poll from the University of Houston shows Abbott with his biggest lead of the entire elections. That's the largest uh, lead that he has held since they've been polling this race at 13 points. Uh, and it's uh, actually an increase in his lead by three points over the last time he, University of Houston released a poll. And now the Real Clear Politics average of polls has uh, Abbott with a lead of 9.2%. So that also is right up there with his largest leads of the entire race. So as things close, the gap is actually widening. Yeah, it's definitely not what you're looking for if you're hoping to unseat an incumbent is this close to election day, having the momentum going the opposite direction. Um, it certainly makes it a little bit tougher for it was always sort of a long shot because, you know, Texas, for all the talk about it possibly being blue every year, it's still a red state. Uh, you're still yeah. talking about an incumbent governor. So it was always going to be a tough uphill battle. But certainly this is not. Uh, something that Beto O'Rourke wants to see heading this close to the election, um, particularly yeah. as, as he's running a pretty aggressive cam campaign, as you pointed out, especially on guns. Yeah, and he's stuck with that message even right. into the very closing days of the race here. he's His last ad talks about Uvalde and, and Abbott's failures there, and he's still uh, pushing that in his, his stump speeches and his social media messaging. Uh, you know, the gun component is a big part of his campaign. There's no denying that, I think. Uh, you're not necessarily seeing that in a lot of other races. There are a few other ones, of course, which we've covered and we'll continue to to talk about as we get closer to Election Day. But but this uh, this is certainly one of those key races, one of those bellwether races for gun policy in the United States. Um, if Beto not only doesn't win, but gets blown out, that's going to have repercussions, I think moving forward for Democrats uh, on this issue uh, all over the country. Yeah, you'd think at least rhetorically, because as you said, he was pretty hard line about his approach, because I, I don't think we'll see them do a complete 180 on their approach to guns. But certainly they'll soft. I would think they would soften their their approach to the issue going forward. Right. And certainly you'll you'll likely see a lot of uh, arguments that rely on the idea that this election was not about guns nationally. So we can't draw too much from, I'm sure that's, that would be the message from a lot of gun control advocates if Beto does get blown out, uh, if Republicans have a lot of success in this election generally. Um, but I think the reality will, will still be there that, you know, this star of the Democratic Party keeps losing these races. And one of the big things he runs on is gun confiscation. So uh, I don't think that's going to go unnoticed in practical terms by a lot of political actors moving forward, if that's how it turns out. Now, if Beto pulls off a, 
a win somehow, or he makes it a lot closer than people expected that, you know, a lot of politics is a perception game. So even if he loses by five points or four points, that's going to be a huge swing from what the perception is right now, given the polling numbers. And so, you know, that, that could soften the blow of him losing on, as far as the takeaway for gun policy, but if he gets blown out, you know, I, I think that's going to say a lot. And so that's a race that's that's important to watch and, and a key one. We also have a couple other key races uh, that we can take from your latest reporting uh, from uh, the spending that's going on. I mean, one way is you can tell what which races are actually important to these gun groups is where they're spending their money. Right. So you have a, a new update. We've got some new spending this week from one of the big gun groups. Well, which one was it? And where were they spending? Yeah, so we've been covering for a few weeks now. The two big gun groups on the other side, the NRA and Every Town, have been fairly active, uh, particularly in the big swing Senate races. But we haven't seen a ton from some of the other groups. Uh, but just this week, uh, the Brady, the pack for for Brady, which is as you said, one of the big gun control groups, um, has started to invest in two House races in particular. These two incumbent Democrats. Uh, one is Representative Stephen Horsford in Nevada, and the other is Representative Lucy McBath in Georgia. Um, they started just pouring about tens of thousands of dollars. I think there's about 40000 for Horsford thus far and about 20000 for McBath, just over two separate investments um, in just in ad spending. Um, but basically just trying to boost them as, as we get one week away from the election. Um, it's interesting to see where they're putting their money there. At least McBath makes a little more sense. She kind of came on the scene as a gun control candidate. She was a longtime Moms Demand Action uh, volunteer who was motivated to run for Congress in 2018 and unseated an incumbent Republican on a pretty much on a gun control message. Uh, it, it was it was a wavier for Democrats, obviously, but gun control was one of her big issues. Uh, the other candidate, Horsford, is not so much known for uh, his gun control advocacy. He's more of a big on community violence interruption programs, some of the less controversial measures that you you typically see in this space. Uh, but definitely interesting to see that those are the two candidates that they're choosing to invest their money in. Yeah, yeah, certainly gives you some insight into how the House races are going. So, you know, Macbeth is not much of a surprise, right? They, they want to protect their own. They want to protect the people that they have um, formed close relationships with. And she's one of their sort of star legislators on the, the gun control side. And so it's not surprising that they want to make sure that she's uh, going to win her race. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if other gun control groups have, uh, you know, invested in that race as well, uh, especially every town. Obviously, she was a mom's demand action, which is part of every town, uh, you know, volunteer at one point. So, um, you know, it, but, it, you know, it, if those races are in play, you know, I think it says a lot about where things are moving in this election as far as uh, the likelihood that Republicans pick up a number of seats here uh, on, you know, on, on next Tuesday. But uh, yeah, I, that, that's something we're going to continue to follow as well is where these groups are spending uh, as we get closer, because I mean, the gun control groups really don't have a lot of money left right now. We, we talked about this on last week's episode uh, with, uh, with open secrets and they don't have much left in the bank at this point. Whereas the NRA has a lot of money. They've got like $9 million left 
to spend if they want to. It's not clear how much of that they're going to spend. But we haven't. Uh, you checked the FEC records this morning, and there wasn't any new spending from the NRA as of Wednesday. Uh, you know, the 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 second of November here, and so um, that's you know, as so you wonder if how much much they're really going to be able to spend in the last you know six days right and how much it even matters because so many states have early voting now that a lot of people have already cast their votes so there's not a ton left that you can do to sway so yeah so you know if the nra doesn't drop that money in these elections i mean obviously they can hold it for for the next election and maybe that's what they're part of their strategy like they see where things are going for this election they don't want to burn up all their resources yeah uh, and so the gun control groups might have the opposite view of things because they're trying to protect seats. Uh, and so we'll have to wait and see, you know, it might be that the gun control groups outspend the NRA, even though the NRA has outraised them to this point. Uh, but that's what we're going to keep on top of. We're going to keep watching. The NRA has a, a history of coming in late to races in the you know recent cycles. So uh, it could very well be that they'll drop another couple million before before next Tuesday. Um, but you're right. The, you do want to start to wonder about the relevance of spending that kind of money this late, but uh, that's something we're going to keep on top of. And we're going to keep on top of all these races and let you know which ones to, to look at for how to determine gun, you know, the way that gun policy played out in this election. And we're going to do all that over at the reload where you can pick up a membership today. If you want to get exclusive access to hundreds of pieces that you will not find anywhere else on the internet or in the world. And you should go over and check out our membership options today. If you like this show, if you want to help us grow, you want to help get the message out to more people, get our reporting out to more people, you can do that by what you know, liking, sharing, rating this episode, uh, letting people know about it. You know, we always appreciate that sort of support as well. It really helps our our efforts to uh, grow as a publication and um yeah but uh, until next week that's all we've got for you